Don't get in the middle. Or... Let me make sure this is on. All right. All righty. Are we all ready to go? deep breath. So I have some things on my heart this morning. Um, God's been stirring something in me for quite a few months. And I, I just, you know, in the midst of the chaos of this world, and if any of you watch the news for any more than two minutes at a time, you realize there is a ton of chaos going on in this world right now, in every arena just about. And I believe that in the midst of all of this, that God is on the move to do something. I believe that God is about to do something, and I believe that God is right now preparing his church, his body, his people. He's preparing us for the next great thing that he is about to do on the earth, right? And so that's what I want to speak into today. The name of my message is Prepare the Way, Remove the Stones. I am taking this, this scripture as a reference from Isaiah. And there are actually three scriptures in Isaiah that say prepare the way. And I want to look at all three of them because I want you to see an interesting progression as we read those. All right, the first one, make sure I got this here. All right. The first one is Isaiah 40, verse 3. A voice of one calling in the, wilderness, in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. The second one is Isaiah 57, 14. Build up, build up, prepare the way. Remove every obstacle from the way of my people. The second one. And this is the third one. And this is, each one is a little further on in the book of Isaiah. This is Isaiah 62.10. Pass through, pass through the gates. Prepare the way for the people. Build up, build up the highway. Remove the stones. Raise a banner for the nations. So I want you to see the progression here. First, the one that's the, road, the way is being made for is the way is being made for the Lord. And we know, I think I might have this scripture here, we know that John the Baptist was actually the, pro the prophetic fulfillment of that scripture because John said of himself, I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. All right? So first the way is being made for the Lord. But then the way is being made for God's people. And Jesus said of himself, I am the way the truth, and the life. So he is the way that has been prepared for us to come to the Father. He said, no one comes to the Father but through me. So Jesus is the way. In fact, I think Simeon, when he saw Jesus as a baby, when he came in, uh, when Jesus was brought into the temple by his parents, Simeon said, for, my, for mine eyes have seen your salvation. He was speaking to God. Your salvation which you have prepared in the sight of all nations. Jesus was a way prepared for us to come to the Father. But then there was another way. 
And I don't know if you're aware of this, but did you know that the early church was also called the way? Paul was... Paul was taken as a prisoner, and he had, he had to speak to the governor, Felix. And this is what he said to Felix. Paul the apostle said, However, I admit that I worship the God of our ancestors as a follower of the way, which they call a sect. So I see it this way. In the same way that Jesus said of himself, I am the light of the world, and then he turned to the people around him and he says, You are the light of the world. In the same way that Jesus is the way, I believe that the church is also the way. And we are the way that God is right now preparing for the people, the nations, that he is about to sweep into the kingdom. He is making us ready so that we are prepared when his move comes to receive them. And not only receive them, but we are the way by which many of them will come to know about Jesus. And so right now, I believe that there is a transformation happening in the earth. And I don't think it's by mistake or... Let me me put it this way. I don't think... It's not a coincidence that through this pandemic, the church has been deemed non-essential, right? Because that, if you, if you think about it, that is the exact words of the enemy against us, right? That we are non-essential. But we are the most essential. We are the most necessary thing that God has on the earth today, the church. And I think it's time for us to kind of shake that dust off of us and to kind of stand up and begin to stand in the truth of what God has called us to be. We are his hands and feet right now on the earth. We are the way by which people are going to be saved. And he is preparing us for that. So I want to show, I hope no one is offended by this next thing that I'm going to um, show. Oh, this is my scripture. So um, one of the things that I want to talk about today in preparing the way is removing the stones. And I believe that stones are just things that cause us to stumble, cause others to stumble, that kind of hinder us from fully becoming everything God wants us to be. And it also can hinder our message and what we portray to the world. Because sometimes I think the world says this, This says, Jesus, save me from your followers. (laughs) I have to say, Lewis and I actually saw this bumper sticker on a car about 20 years ago when we were driving through Cave Junction. And I have to say, there were a lot of stickers all over this car, all kinds of things, but that one stood out. And I tell you, this bumper sticker has spoken more to me in the last 20 years than anything else I've ever seen. Because it made me go, oh God, what are we showing people? Are we showing people who you really are? Did she meet the love of God when she met his followers? Or did she come across something else? I don't know, but I suspect that she didn't have a good experience with some of Jesus' followers. And... 
In the last 20 years, I just want to tell you, since I've seen this bumper sticker, I have seen a move sweep across the church. And it started in the 90s with the, with the outpouring of the Spirit that was called the Father's Heart. Because God is revealing himself, his Father's heart to his church, so that his church can be transformed into his image. So that what we show to the world is truly him. And people will be drawn in because of it. And I, I really want to encourage you, Max gave an excellent word last week on how we see people and to see them as, as made in God's image. And I would encourage you to listen to that because that is some of the change and the change in thinking that God is doing in the church today. He's changing us. He's changing the way we think. He's changing our perspective so we can more gloriously radiate his image to the world. But I don't want you to think that everyone's going to love us, right? We're not going to be loved by everyone. So don't, don't think that I'm saying that. But I think that our heart should be like what Paul said. Paul said this, We live in such a way that no one will stumble because of us, and no one will find fault with our ministry. That's what we want. That's our heart. You know, not that everyone's going to love us. There will be people offended because of Christ. But may no one stumble because of us. And so that's what I've been after in my own life. And the things that I'm sharing with you are actually things that I've dealt with in my own life, things that have caused stumbling and things that have kept me from transforming in the way um, that I wanted to. And a lot of it was just old ways of thinking and old patterns and um, ways that I was raised up in church that just had to change. All right, so I have some stones that I want to go after today, all right? So I have five of them. I don't know how far we get. We may only get to a few of them. If I get through the first two, I will be very happy. But I like plays on words, and um, so these are my stones. The tablets of stone, stoning stones, hearts of stones, gall stones, and idols of stone. All right, so those are the stones I want to go after today. So, here we go. Let's start with tablets of stone. And by tablets of stone, I mean the law of Moses and the old covenant. And here's why I want to talk about this. Because we are in the new covenant now. At the cross, Jesus made a new covenant. And that is the only covenant that is now valid. That is the only covenant by which we can now come to God is through Jesus, through the new covenant. We are ministers of a new covenant. And not only that, but it's only through the new covenant that we are transformed and changed. All right? So I want to go after that a little bit. And I want to start with reading this passage of Scripture where Paul brings, he brings a contrast between the old covenant and the new covenant. I want to read that, and then I want to put it on a table so we can actually look at it and kind of pull it apart a little bit. All right? And this is what it says, 2 Corinthians 3, 16, 6 through 17. And he has qualified us as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. 
Now, if the ministry of death, which was engraved in letters on stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at the face of Moses because of its leading glory, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? For if the ministry of condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry of righteousness? Indeed, what was once glorious has no glory now in comparison to the glory that surpasses it. For if what was fading away came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which endures? Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at the end of what was fading away. But their minds were closed. For to this day, the same veil remains. Hmm. Sorry about that. For to this day, the same veil remains at the reading of the Old Covenant. It has not been lifted, because only in Christ can it be removed. And even to this day, when Moses is, is read, a veil covers their heart. I find it interesting that he said that twice. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the glory of the Lord are being transformed into his image with intensifying glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Our transformation can only come as we fully establish ourselves in the new covenant, not in the latter but in the spirit. So let's compare the two a little bit. All right? Old covenant versus new covenant. Let me get my notes on this because I have some other scriptures I want to read along with us. All right. So the old covenant was the ministry of the letter, specifically engraved in letters on stone. So the only thing that I remember that was engraved in letters on stone in the Old Testament was the law, right? The Ten Commandments. And I know that the church is sometimes very precious about the Ten Commandments. But it's not going to transform us, right? So the ministry of the letter versus the ministry of the Spirit, Paul says the letter kills, and he calls it the ministry of death. But he says the Spirit gives life. Now, in the Old Testament, when the law was given, when Moses came down, the people were in sin, and they were worshiping a calf. Somehow they threw the gold in the fire, and it came out like a calf. That's what Aaron said. Yeah. <laughs> there's things in the Bible that really make me laugh, but that's one of them. We just threw this gold in the fire and out came this calf. Well, who knew? <laughs> 3,000 died that day. But on the day that the Holy Spirit fell on Pentecost, 3,000 people were saved. The latter kills, but the Spirit gives life. That word life literally means to make that 
which was dead to live. The Spirit gives life. Titus 3 says it in a nutshell. When God, our Savior, revealed his kindness and love, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Because of his grace, he made us right in his sight and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. That's the gospel in a nutshell. I have been transferred from death to life. I am now alive in Christ. I am a new creation. I am born again. That is the ministry of the Spirit. (laughs) This is good news. Paul also called the Old Covenant the ministry of condemnation. When we live by the law, we walk in condemnation, and when we minister by the law, we put others under condemnation. So if you're feeling condemnation in your life, you might want to ask yourself, do I have an old covenant mindset going on? Am I somehow thinking according to the old covenant, to the letter of the law? It was based on what I, the old covenant was based on what people did for God, and then they received God's blessing. But the new covenant is based on what God has done for us that we step into through faith in Jesus Christ, right? So that condemnation comes also because the law brings a consciousness of sin. It it brings a real sin consciousness. So, contrary, the new covenant is the ministry of righteousness. All right, so let me read this scripture to you. It's Romans 3, 20 through 24. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. So all who believe have received the gift of righteousness. And it's not just, you're not, you are not just declared righteous. You have actually received the gift of Christ's righteousness, which is now at work in you, actually producing righteousness in your life. And when you stand before God, you stand before him in that righteousness that he gave as a gift. Therefore, we have confidence before God. We have confidence that he hears our prayers. We have confidence that he loves us because of that righteousness that is ours through faith in Christ. Not that we did anything to earn it, but because of what Jesus did for me. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came through Jesus Christ. We have been made right, and we are righteous. The law 
the old, the old covenant, the old covenant mindset, we are very conscious of sin. But in the new covenant, we are conscious of righteousness, that we are the righteousness of God. That is our new mindset. That is our new framework, right? But this is one is very interesting. That one came twice. How did that one get there twice? Huh. Interesting. <laughs> that was an accident. All right. So, in the Old Covenant, it's interesting that Paul said, even to this day, when Moses is, is read, a veil remains. And I think that might be kind of maybe a little warning to us. Make sure when you read the Old Covenant and the Old Testament, make sure you're firmly grounded in the new so that you don't get pulled back into that old way of thinking, right? And I see a lot of people, they'll take um, stories and situations in the Old Testament and try to apply it to the church today when God's no longer treating us or relating to us in that way, right? He's not relating to us in the old way. He's relating to, to us in a new way, right? And so we need to make sure that we're not getting that veil put back over us. But in Christ, the good news is the veil is removed. Because in the old covenant, there was a veil in the temple that kept people from being in the presence of God. But Jesus at the cross, when he died, that veil was torn so that we can be in the presence of God. Through Jesus, we have access to the Father. Through Jesus, we have relationship with God. It's astounding to me that God wants to make covenants with people anyway because that implies he wants deep, committed relationship, right? He's a God with people who, who have turned their backs on him for the, for the most part. He wants deep, committed relationships, and that's what he provided for us through Jesus Christ, that we could enter into a deep relationship with him. And when we are able to see him without the veil, when we are in his presence, we have freedom, right? Freedom from the law and freedom from sin, right? Because even though we don't have law, we don't run into lawlessness, we are also free from sin so that we can serve God in the new way of the Spirit, right? We're free to live for Him. And we are transformed as we behold Him, as we, are a revel as we get a revelation of who He is, we are then transformed into His image. Our transformation comes through the new covenant. Hebrews 7.18 actually says, the former regulation is set aside because it was weak and useless, for the law made nothing perfect, and a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. We have a better covenant and a better hope. All right. 
I think I have time to do number two, which is also very important to me. Because one of the fruits of a legalistic life and mindset is sin consciousness. We become conscious of our own sin, and we become conscious of everyone else's sin, and look what we're doing, and oh my goodness, we're all up in arms about sin. And so this is taken, so this is my next one, stoning stones. And by that I'm talking about judging. Right? And this is taken from the story of when the Pharisees came to Jesus with a woman that was caught in adultery. Right? So the Pharisees were the teachers of the law. And this is what they said. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Right? Do you see the reference to the law? That's the old covenant mindset. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. And one by one, they all left. And Jesus looked at her and he said, Woman, where are the ones that would accuse you? And she looked around and she said, there are none. And Jesus said, neither do, I con- neither do I accuse you, neither do I condemn you. Go and leave your life of sin. He spoke, instead of judging her, he spoke words of freedom to her so that she could be free from her sin. So this is what it says about Jesus and judging. This is what Jesus said about himself, right? If anyone hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge that person. Jesus didn't even judge. For I did not come to, the, to judge the world, but to save the world. And this is what it says in John three seventeen: God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. All right, now look at this one. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. How was Jesus sent into the world? Not to judge the world, but to save the world. How are we to go into the world? Not to judge the world, but to save the world. Right? That's our job, to save the world, to bring words of life, to bring words of hope, to bring words of reconciliation to the world. So let's look at what our ministry looks like. Paul actually calls it the ministry of reconciliation. This is probably one of my most favorite passages of Scripture in the whole Bible. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. 
He's not counting your sins against you anymore. He's not counting my sins against him anymore. He's not counting anyone's sins against them. And he has committed to us this message of reconciliation. This is our message. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Wow. Isn't that something the world wants to hear right now? You can come to God. Sometimes we think, well, you know, people, you know, if we don't have the law and if we don't tell them, how will people know that they're sinning? How will they know um, that, that they need to repent, you know? And um, I have an answer for that, and it might be different than something you've ever heard before. So, you know, let me just, let me just give, it a, give it a shot, Okay. So we know that the Holy Spirit was poured out at Pentecost, right? Right. And what did Peter say? In the last days, God said, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Some versions say all flesh. So I want to expand your idea of what it meant for the Holy Spirit to be poured out on Pentecost. Because I don't think that the Holy Spirit was only poured out on those who believed in the upper room. I believe that the Holy Spirit was poured out on all flesh. Everyone in the world is now under the influence of the Holy Spirit. This is what Jesus said in John 16. But I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I am leaving. For if I do not leave, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And he, when he comes, will convict the world regarding sin. The Holy Spirit is right now around the world convicting people of sin and righteousness, and judgment regarding sin because they do not believe in me, regarding righteousness because I am going to the Father and you are no longer going to see me, and regarding judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged. Who's been judged? The ruler of this world. Are people being judged right now? No. I think the reason sometimes people get so hurt when we start trying to point out sin is that they are already under the conviction of the Holy Spirit and feel like that sin is keeping them from God. And what they need to hear is the good news. Look, that thing that you're being convicted of, God's not counting that thing between you and him. He's not counting that against you anymore. 
You can be reconciled to God. God's done everything so that you can come to him, freely come to him. People need to hear that good news of reconciliation, that they can be restored to the Father. And we can trust that the Holy Spirit, we don't have to tell people they're sinners. I think, they can, I think the Holy Spirit can be a pretty good teller of that to them. <laughs> he can convict them. They just need to hear from us the good news. Hey, God wants you to come to him. He loves you. He wants to be your father. He wants you to be his dearly loved son because he really does love you. That's our message. And those are some of the things that I believe that God is doing in the church to transform us into his image and change our way of thinking so that when the world, when, when that harvest comes in, will be a place where people will be able to grow in God and not fall back out into the world because they were hurt in the church. Right? God wants to transform us to be a, a safe place, a safe haven for those that are being saved. I do have to say that in this body, there are many that are, I consider the evangelists here. And whenever they speak and they share their testimonies of reaching out to people, this is what I, these are the kinds of things I hear them say. Just the great love by which people are reached out to and ministered to in our body. And so um, it, it always gives me great joy when I hear that, uh, just the testimonies that come forth from this place of people reaching out in God's love. And I hope that I, no one here is hearing me say that we're doing it wrong because I see a whole lot of right and doing it the right way happening in this body. And so I just... I am just always grateful for this place and those kinds of things because I see that this is the work that God has been doing over a long period of time in this place already. And it is such a privilege to be able to serve in this place and, and worship here. So I just wanted to make sure I said that. <laughs> oh. So are you okay if I do more? Or? So the last three are actually pretty quick. Um, but I wanted to talk about this because, you know, in, in Lewis and I, our life in the last little while, he's just been doing a deep work in our hearts. And he's been bringing up issues and things that um, he's just been bringing us to just a deeper place of walking free and, um, I don't know, let's just put it this way, he's been doing a deep work, all right? And he's been doing a work in our marriage and in our lives that um, he's just been restoring us in some really healthy ways. And so... I wanted to talk about um, hearts of stone a little bit and hard-heartedness. Hard 
One of the beautiful gifts of the new covenant is a new heart. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. That's our gift in the new covenant. So let's look at this. The New Living Translation says, I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out of you your stony, stubborn heart, and I will give you a tender, responsive heart. All right? So a new heart is tender and responsive. I will give them a heart to know me. The new heart has a heart to know God. And they will return to me with their whole heart. It is wholeheartedness. All right? Here's a symptom of a stony heart or a hard heart. Jesus was talking to his disciples and aware of their conversation, Jesus asked them, why are you debating about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Do you have such hard hearts? So a hard heart keeps us from seeing and perceiving the things of God. And so we have to ask ourselves, well, in the new covenant, is it possible for our heart to get hard? Can our heart get hard? God gave us a new heart, but can we harden it again? Let's look at this scripture. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Ah, all right, there it is. Sin's deceitfulness. And often the problem with being deceived is you don't know you're being deceived. There's a real blindness that comes, to, comes with that, right? And so now we have this problem of being deceived by sin, but yet I'm not under the law, right? So the law is not what I'm going to go to to find out if I'm sinning. What's the answer to sin's deceitfulness? And I believe the answer is found in the very same verse. Right up at the top it says... But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today. I believe that the new covenant answer for sin's deceitfulness is deep relationship with one another. Let me show you what that word encourage means in the Greek. It means Para kaleo. Para, which means close beside. Kaleo, to call. It literally means make a call from being close up and personal. Who do you have in your life that you will allow to speak into you? close up and personal, to keep you from sin's deceitfulness. 
Who's in your life who can speak into your life that you let close enough? In this season, that's one of the things that Lewis and I have been doing is finding people that we can be open and honest with and that we let speak into our lives so that our hearts won't be hardened and we won't be carried off into deception. And I want to give you a story from my own life of some little people who are close up and personal with me and they know how to call me up. They're my students. Little first and second graders. So this is how it works. I'm in my classroom, and one of my students is turning in his paper. And I look at his paper, and I go, oh my. There was a whole section on his paper that had not been done correctly. But here's the problem. I had just spent at least 15 minutes with the whole class going over that section of the paper step by step so that they would know how to do that and get the answers. I actually gave them the answers so that they, because it was something new, and I knew that they would need help doing that correctly. But he had decided he knew what to do, he knew it better than teacher, and he was going to do it his own way. And I got his paper at the end of the class, which was going to be the beginning of my break time, right? And I looked at his paper and I go, and I am very frustrated. Because this means I am now going to have to spend a whole lot of time again helping him fix or understand what he did wrong on this paper. And I am not a happy teacher. I am very frustrated. And that frustration is coming out in the sound of my voice. I am not happy. And there are little children sitting around me at their desks. And some of them happen to overhear the conversation that I am having with this child. And my not very patient. And you have to know that in my head, I'm hearing myself not be patient. And I'm doing that thing we do when we don't want to change what we're doing, but we know it's wrong, we start to justify it, right? We start to make excuses and we start to justify, but this, but that, I have a right to have this attitude, you know. And all of a sudden, I hear a little voice over coming from this little desk, little girl says, teacher, did you know that you're the best teacher in the whole wide world? And I hear another little voice over from that side of the classroom. Teacher, did you know that I love you? 
and another little voice. There were three of them. Teacher, you're the best teacher I've ever had. I'm so glad I'm in your class. And I felt my heart hit my desk. <laughs> and I just repented. I said, oh God, thank you for children that will see the good in me and call me up. Call me up out of my sin, out of my bad attitude. And help me be the best I can be. I have to tell you, I immediately changed the tone of my voice. I became the patient, loving teacher that these students saw. So I'm just going to end with that. I'm just going to say, it's time for us to be like those little kids were to each other, where we can see the good and we can call one another up into our purpose and our calling and what caught it. So we can be the best we can be because we are seeing that in others and we're speaking into one another from close up and personal and we're pulling people up into that calling of really being fully and truly everything we're supposed to be. Let's be that for one another so that we can be that church so that we don't have to have any more of those bumper stickers that says, oh, God, save me from your followers, right? But, but where we have bumper stickers that say, how can I be one of those? How can I have what you have? What have you got? I want that. You have something I've been waiting for all my life. I see it in you, right? So, God, I just thank you that... You are doing a work in your church today of transformation. You are transforming us into your image, God. And you are calling us into deeper relationship with one another so that we can call one another up into the, into the place that you've called us, Lord, that we can be one another's cheerleaders, God, that we can encourage one another, Lord, that we would be encouraging one another, Lord God. That we'd be, Lord, I pray you'd help us build relationships like that, Lord. And I pray, Lord God, that, Lord, as we go out through this week, Lord, in every way, Lord, you would reveal who you are to us so that we can be transformed to be more like you. Thank you for all you have done for us. And Lord, all you continue to do in us. And Lord, we wait with eager anticipation for that move, God, that you are getting ready to do that is going to sweep unprecedented numbers of people into your kingdom. And we expect that to happen here in our little town too. We just thank you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Are we done? <laughs> 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 <laughs>